0: Good morning, Agassiz Church, Lake Erock Church. Uh, Glad for you guys to be here. Glad to be here. My name is Cody. I'm a youth director here at the church. Get the opportunity to preach and bring the word. Uh, Today, and so excited and honored to do that. Uh, This morning, I'll just lay my cards on the table. My my hope through this message is to challenge the perspective of a one-dimensional gospel. What I mean is the, the gospel of Jesus, meaning only one thing in your life at one time, uh, and it only the gospel is only that one thing. And so, for a second, I want you to think of the of the first time that you met someone, a, a first impression, if you will. Did you get everything right the first time that you saw them, or you talked to them, or were there things that you misinterpreted, things that you uh, assumptions you made that turned out to be completely false? Uh, the other day, uh, my wife and I have been married for, for two years, so the other day I asked her, hey, what, what is the most surprising thing to you uh, since we got married? What is the most surprising thing about me to you since we've been married? And she was like, well, I never would have guessed how big of a nerd you are. <laughs> so we met at Bible College, and she's like, you know, I saw you walking around the college, you had your cool group of friends, you were doing sports, you were doing music, and I thought you were so cool, and then I married you and you're, you're just a nerd. And I was like, oh, that's not wrong. <laughs> um, played disc golf with Dan and Jeremy on the daily. <laughs> um. But was her first impression of me wrong? No, I was a cool person, I think. I, like, I, I would acknowledge that I, I did have those things, those relationships, that's those sports moments. But the more she got to know me, the more my character was exposed, and uh, the deeper she could understand the person I am and the person that I continue to be. I believe the gospel of Jesus is like this as well. At first hearing, we may cling to the fact that Jesus loves me and that, that he died for me so that I could live. This is a very true, and amazing reality, Uh, but maybe as you grow deeper in your knowledge of Jesus, maybe a few years goes by, you start to really understand the obedience call and and how important that is. Maybe then a few years goes by, you start to understand the sacrificial nature of the gospel. There's many different facets, and so what I want to get across today through the text that I've been given is, is the gospel of Jesus is multifaceted and challenges every hearer to respond no matter their circumstance. So this morning, we're venturing into the book of Acts for the last time of 2021. Uh, We're picking up with Paul and Silas, Timothy, and Luke as they they enter the region of Macedonia. I want to highlight Pastor Eldon and the amazing job he did last week uh, to show us how Paul and Silas ended up here. Um, They... yeah, Eldon showed us that their, their direction was divinely inspired through the Holy Spirit blocking them from going to Asia and then blocking them from going to Bithynia. So this morning, we're going to look at the journey the Holy Spirit did send them on and why it helps us to understand that, once again, the gospel is multifaceted and invites every hearer to respond, no matter the circumstance. So I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, and uh, we will be in Acts 16, 11 through 40. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed, where we supposed, there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrate, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have us thrown into prison And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. They took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison, visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Lord, would this word uh, ring true in our hearts and our minds? Would we come to a better understanding of you and your character, Lord? And uh, yeah, would you, would you equip me to share well? Would they be your words, Holy Spirit? In your name we pray, amen. And grab a seat, shake out the legs, long passage, <laughs> but we made it, congratulations. So today uh, I am going to uh, revert to Paul uh, for my outline. So for those of you taking notes, which I know many of you are, um, Paul's words to Timothy in Second Timothy, I believe, outline uh, the text that I Am honored to preach from this morning. So, Second Timothy three sixteen says, "All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness." I believe that our text highlights um, as Scripture interprets Scripture, and that that all that gospel encounters encounters with Jesus Christ are also. Uh, Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that's where we're going to go this morning. First, the gospel encounters are profitable for teaching. So we're going to spend some time looking at the conversion of Lydia, but there are a few things we need to understand about uh, Philippi and Macedonia and uh, why Lydia was an important character in this narrative. So it says that Philippi is a leading city in Macedonia and a Roman colony. So Philippi uh, had very, very lush agricultural land. It was settled on something called the Ignatian Way. So for Rome, this was a very important city economically and, and for, for trade. So it was, it was a big deal for Rome. It was a Roman colony, meaning that the Roman citizens in the city had many, many privileges, uh, tax, uh, yeah, tax exemptions, comfortable lifestyles for good land and for home ownership. Colonial status also meant that the city was subject only to Rome and its law. So the magistrates uh, were only answerable to Caesar and to the authority of Rome to no one else. Uh, Final thing about Philippi was that there was a a battle for Philippi just a short while before this story, and uh, Caesar Augustus replanted Philippi with a bunch of retired war veterans. And so in in one place we have a lot of comfort, a lot of land, a lot of entitled citizens, and they were all trained in combat and pledged complete allegiance to Caesar as Lord. Uh, So it's not exactly the tender soil that you hope as a missionary to be sent to by the Holy Spirit. But this is where Paul and Silas and Timothy and and Luke were all sent. So following Paul's journey, we see that uh, normally he first goes to the Jewish synagogue so that he can preach the good news to, to the Jewish people. And once rejected in the synagogue, he'll go out to the Gentiles. But this doesn't happen in our story. He goes to the riverside. Which means, and points to us, that there weren't actually enough Jewish uh, believer, or Jewish people to have a synagogue in Philippi. Uh, the minimum was 10 practicing Jewish men. So not only were all these other things true about Philippi with the army veterans and the land and they're comfortable, there was also, they were very devoid of prominent followers of God. But there still were God-worshippers in the town, a group of women headlined by the woman Lydia, the seller of purple cloth and goods, which seems like a very weird thing to kind of bring up. Or is it? Is there a purpose for it? Uh, purple cloth was a, a, a sign of wealth. So the, the dye needed to create the cloth, the, the purple, uh, the, it was rare, it was expensive, and so it was a sign that the person owning the cloth was very wealthy to be able to afford it. The person making the cloth was also assumed to be very wealthy because they were getting paid to make the cloth. And so we assume that Lydia was also very wealthy, but she was also a worshiper of God, a God-fearer, a converted Gentile who now believes and worships Yahweh, the God of Israel. So the missionaries took this opportunity to share the Share the gospel with her and with the women by the riverside and to teach them the way of Christ, to teach them that it's not the the temple that will save them, that it's not their, their actions, that it's not even a synagogue that will save them, to teach them the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as Lord. Our text says that God opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what is being said. This leaves us with a pretty astounding realization that it is the supernatural work of God that draws people to Christ. It's not the persuasiveness of the speaker. It's not the charm of the speaker. For anyone to learn or to be taught the ways of Jesus, it is God who first initiates that by opening their heart by his grace. So the opening of hearts and, and, and the response is a teaching that is, that is a beautiful mix of, of both divine initiation or a divine initiative and then also human response and responsibility. A lot can be said about this, a lot can be debated about this, but, but I don't want to rabbit hole away from what our text is saying and highlighting. God called Paul to Macedonia for the salvation of Lydia, which he initiated in her heart. This is a comfort to, to all believers because unlike the, the pagan gods of the time, unlike the, the gods of our time or the idols of our time that are, that are fleeting, that, that can be destroyed, that, that are impacted by space and by time and by confusion, we can remain assured that all who come to Christ have been called and appointed for Him by His grace. And yet, in our text, there is still room for human responsibility as well. Lydia had her heart open to pay attention, is what our text says, and then in faith, she was baptized. Now we have to remember that the the time we're in, the the church, the Christian church, isn't the multi-million dollar organization that it is in the West as we see it right now. It it was probably more like the church in Afghanistan or or China right now, very persecuted, but the power of God was was seen and and intangible. Yet the call to follow God almost uh, always assured social and economic destruction for the person, so so it took the faith of the person to be baptized, um, because it, it was the faith in God's provision. Because they were going to be cut off from the rest of this, yet Lydia and her household made the choice to be baptized and to claim Jesus as Lord of their life. And then their response was to offer hospitality and generosity to the people of God. Pride, fear, greed, all of these things could have stood in the way and distracted from the gospel in their call, but by the grace of God and the strong faith of Lydia, we can see the genuine conversion to faith in Jesus. The teaching of the gospel requires a response from hearers. So our second facet of the the gospel that I want to, to explore is gospel encounters are profitable for Rebuke or or for reproof. This genuinely or generally comes with the rejection of the gospel. So we see two interactions with the gospel like this in our text. We see the slave girl uh, who had the demon of divination and then the Romans who were profiting off of her. A confusing aspect of this text, at least for me as I was studying it, was you know, why was Paul so annoyed? <laughs> the thing that the demon was saying through the, the slave girl was was painfully true. Verse 17. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. It's it's true. (laughs) We would say that that's that's accurate. So, I mean, why not take the free advertisement of someone who actually might have been well-known in Philippi? Well, we see that Paul is actually taking after Jesus really well in this section. Many times in the the ministry of Jesus, a demon would claim to to have knowledge of, of Jesus and his role as son of God. So in Luke 4, 34, uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, as written by Luke uh, 34 and 35 says, says this. This is a demon speaking, says, ah, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 35, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And then when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him having done him no harm. Both Jesus and Paul want no part of demonic testimony for their divine calling. It's similar to why a few weeks ago we learned uh, Paul and Barnabas, when they were praised as gods in Acts 14 in Lystra, they don't say like, ah, now everyone's looking at us, so we'll use this as an opportunity to share about Jesus. No, they didn't need gimmicks. They didn't need anything or take whatever they could get to prove their point. They, the, all they needed was, was the pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus. So Paul rebuked this demon by, by calling out the name of Jesus and the spirit left him immediately. And so a lesson I believe we can learn through this is to have a rigorous, or to, to, to be rigorous in our elimination of demonic distraction in our lives, and We don't really talk about demon interference or, or how Satan is the enemy. We don't talk about that much, but, but as Christians, we can be sure of the existence of Satan and demons because the Bible plainly depicts them as fallen angels who work in the world to oppose God and his people, as well as to deceive and blind unbelievers to the truth of the gospel. He is a very real adversary who roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's First Peter 5.8. These, these beings are great studies of human behavior who, who cause events and to distract. It's a, it's a form of demonic bullying for the believer and the unbeliever alike. In our text we see it's a, it's a distraction as it's drawing attention to, to the slave girl who is, who is possessed by this demon rather than to the, the, the story, the narrative that Paul and Silas are sharing. Two primary ways that, that we see this is, is through accusation and, and through Deception. But we take note from Paul and Jesus who called on the name of Jesus for the ruthless and rigorous elimination of demonic distractions. So are you feeling that hopelessness this morning or or useless? Are you feeling drawn to a habitual sin in your life that you haven't been able to kick and so being deceived that it's never going to end, never going to not feel this way, never going to... This, this deception that can only come from the enemy? Are you feeling accused, drawn away from the truth of God so that you just fall deeper into this circle of shame? Take time to pray through Scripture this week. Take time to, to pray through, I, I would offer Ephesians 6, the, the putting on the full armor of God. This is something, you know, we hear in Sunday school and there's cute little songs that go with it and you put on the helmet and the chest plate. But this is an amazing piece of scripture because it says that this full armor of God is used to protect against the enemy's flaming arrows, to pray through scripture, to claim the authority that comes from the knowledge and belief in King Jesus and his power over the enemy's kingdom. But Luke doesn't only show here that the kingdom of the enemy is rebuked by the authority of the word of God, but also that the kingdom of the world is rebuked. See, after the demon leaves the slave girl by by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus, uh, a miracle by anyone's standards, her, her owners don't rejoice and say, praise God, someone was delivered. Instead, seeing their hope of gain lost, they dragged Paul and Silas to the square to be publicly condemned and punished. The gospel of Jesus liberates where people want captivity to remain. Jesus said in Luke 4, right before he rebukes the spirit, uh, verses 16 through 19, then, then Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And when he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and, and recovery of sight to the, pl- to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But captivity profits. It did back then. It does now. For captives to be released means that people have to have to give up these, or to give up to sacrifice profit or Comfort or habitual habits that they've built up in their life. Today, there are many industries that still promote keeping the poor poor, keeping the oppressed oppressed, keeping the hurt hurting for as long as possible for the sake of gain. One that I want to highlight this morning is the adult film industry that holds captive its watchers through, through addictive tendencies and, and utilizes shame and lies to keep people in the dark. It's also very common knowledge that most of these websites or, or production crews utilize abuse, threats, or drugs to alter states of consciousness for the people on screen to act the way they do. And yet it is still a multi-billion dollar organization, this is captivity on, on all fronts. And I'm not saying that people who are caught up in, in this and watching this material are awful people. I, I actually think the contrary, where, where a lot of good people have have been taken by this epidemic of hypersexualized images and, and they're trapped in it. But this scripture that we see this morning is take it as an encouragement, take it as a rebuke uh, that if you're not seeking freedom if you're not bringing it into the light of Christ and seeking recovery and healing, I urge, I, I desire that you do so. Find a pastor to discuss this with. Find, find a way to live a life of, trans, of, of, of transparency so that the, the lies of the enemy don't take root and keep root in your life. This is not the only place in our Western society that is built on the disregard of others, where we buy our clothes, where we give our money, where we spend our time. All of these decisions that we make are a magnifying glass to where we value either profit over people or comfort over gospel obedience. The greedy blindness of the Romans led to the men of God being beaten with an inch of their life and thrown into the stocks and prison. And yet our God remains sovereign in control, which brings to uh, our third gospel encounter. Gospel encounters are profitable for correction. Paul and Silas being brought to prison sing hymns and prayers to God. I'm not going to focus highly on this. I want to get back to that later. So we're going to skip ahead to the divine earthquake that shook the foundations of the prison and freed all of the prisoners you see, if any of these prisoners escaped, it wouldn't have just been like a slap on the wrist for the jailer. He would have had to pay the cost for all the prisoners that escaped. He would have had to take the punishment that they escaped from. And so seeing how desperate his situation was, this jailer saw the opportunity of taking his own life as better than the torment that he would have received for the people escaping. But the people didn't escape. They didn't leave. Paul and Silas step out and simply say, we're here. Like all of us. Don't. Harm yourself. And with the hymns still ringing in his ears and and the lived faith of these men, he falls to his knees and then he brings them out and he asks, men, how how can I be saved? This is how our lives should be. Natural magnets drawing people to the gospel of Jesus. Our, Our Christianity should make others want to have God in their lives. We could read this and say, well, isn't this this an overly simplistic understanding of the gospel, isn't it? Just telling someone to believe in Jesus. What about everything else? But this word, believe, means to trust, to rely on, to cling to. A common phrase in the Roman Empire was Caesar is Lord. You would greet people with this greeting. You would have to say this greeting at different intervals in time to pledge allegiance to Caesar, But the Christians came up with a new slogan. Jesus is Lord. Paul is telling the the jailer to change his allegiance from one that is dedicated to serving Caesar to one that is dedicating to serving Jesus Christ as king. So what does this mean for him? What does this mean for us? It means that we look at life from the perspective of the kingdom of God. God. It's not an excuse to promote anarchy, to formalize a new government. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't, he didn't take Caesar out of power. It's not what Paul did. He didn't cause the downfall of Rome. Instead, they lived out the words that Jesus proclaimed in Matthew 6.33 when he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the rest will be added to you. Jesus in this passage, he's he's speaking primarily about temporal or superficial worries, what to eat, what are you going to wear, which doesn't seem like a big deal to us uh, or to most of us, I would say. But once again, when you stop claiming Caesar as Lord, it's very likely that you'd be cut off economically from the benefits afforded to the other Romans. To seek first the kingdom means to consider the kingdom of Jesus before considering what may be most beneficial financially, socially, or politically. This is something that as a youth director, we challenge our youth to do uh, every day in their school, in their families. Uh, we have many youth who, who go to secular schools and who are challenged to, or even in Christian schools sometimes, challenged to, to live out a faith that is different than the kids around them. And so uh, one student that I get the, I, I love my job, I think I have the best job in Central, sorry Alden, um, but working with the students here, our students are amazing. And so uh, one of our students uh, s- switched from a Christian school to a secular school this last year, I shot him a message. I said, hey, what's what was it like to move from a place where your faith is, is celebrated to a, faith w- to a place where you feel maybe your faith has to be hidden? And he sent me this message. He said, for me, when I was starting at a new school, it was definitely a big change. I, I told myself before I went to the school that I, I didn't want to change who I was and what my beliefs were. But then I got to school. I found that everywhere I went, there was someone doing or saying something that I didn't believe in. I realized that I had two choices. I could either go with the flow or I could stay true to what I believed and to what I told myself was right from the beginning. It wasn't easy, though. I had people telling me that I would change and I would do all these things, but I knew that's not what I wanted. Even though I had told myself all these things, what I wouldn't do or what I wouldn't say, I knew that I couldn't do it on my own. So I did a couple of things. First, I prayed. I prayed God would give me guidance and navigation through this transition. I, I prayed every day about this and for this, and I was constantly thinking about what I told myself because, again, I heard people saying and talking about things I found weren't what I deemed to be good or glorifying to God. I also found some people who I knew I could trust who would challenge me throughout my faith I found people who I could talk to and people who were strong Christians, people who I could depend on. I found that the biggest thing, though, was giving it all up to God. I knew that I couldn't manage this new experience on my own as there were temptations and everything was hitting me so quickly. And the best thing was to let God guide me throughout my day. Would it have been easier to just fit in? Yeah, that's not what I wanted. For me, it was making the decision beforehand to not get sucked into all of what the school sees as acceptable, but instead staying true to who I was before and sticking with that. That's seeking first the kingdom of God. He put himself out there in a way of saying, I'm not gonna do what you tell me I'm gonna do. I'm actually gonna stick true to glorifying God with my words and my actions, This is fun. There it is. The little page numbers tell me on <laughs> and now, how did the jailer respond to this? to this call to, to leave the allegiance of Caesar. Well, uh, verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. He immediately responded with deep repentance for his actions and corrected them through service, through generosity, and Baptism. He then led his household by allowing Paul to speak to them and introduce the gospel of Christ to his entire household. Now, there's a debate that comes out with with the idea that both the the jailer and and Lydia, both their families were baptized. Well, the question is did they they baptize the babies? Did they baptize the infants? Uh, But we must explore the surrounding words to understand. You know, just after the baptism, it says that he rejoiced along with his household that he had believed. This is where Central uh, has our our beliefs on infant baptism to, to rejoice with the deep spiritual joy that this text is pointing to requires an understanding and belief that comes from a formulated understanding of the gospel. So this is, one, this is why believer's baptism is an important value to us here at Central. The jailer had a full turnaround because of the correction that came from the word of God and the gospel encounter that he had. So now finally I wanna I wanna focus on, on one final encounter, and that is that the gospel encounter is profitable uh, for the mature believer to be trained in Righteousness. We often think of, of conversion or encountering the gospel as a one-time thing. Bringing it back to what I first started uh, this talk on first impressions, but I hope uh, through this talk, it's become evident through, through through the message, through the text, that the gospel shows itself differently to different people at different times. Did Lydia need to hear the rebuke that that the demon and the Romans received? No. Did the jailer need to receive the teaching that was received by Lydia and the women at the riverside? No. The gospel showed itself differently to, to each depending on their circumstance. And that is the beauty of the gospel that, that every person who repents and believes in the name of Jesus carries with them an aspect of God's character in their story to be shared with believers and non-believers alike. My story of coming to faith and living my faith out is, is drastically different than my wife's story of coming to faith and living her faith out. But together, now we have, I feel or even triple the influence of, of speaking to people and sharing the gospel because of the multifaceted nature of our stories. Now, for Paul and Silas, their encounter came not uh, in a great way, it came through great challenges and great persecution. See, they could have joined Peter in Bethsidia. They could have bypassed Macedonia altogether, but the Spirit of God prompted them to come to Macedonia, to Philippi, to be imprisoned for once again casting out a demon. After the beating, they were put into more uncomfortable positions. They were, they were fastened in the stocks, and then what did they do? Did they complain? Did they try to get out? Did they try to, to, to renounce the name of Jesus so that they could leave? They sang, they worshipped. The early Christian author, Tertullian, says, the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. They sang powerfully so that other prisoners listened. The jailer's questions of salvation likely came from his hearing of the hymn sung by his prisoners. I'm not sure what first century hymns sound like, but, but we can take a uh, note from our modern hymns. Amazing Grace, How sweet the sound that saved a wreck like me. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit and washed in his blood. All this came this this idea that they could praise in their persecution to to lift up Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords came from a genuine knowledge and love for the gospel of Jesus. The apostle James, who would later be be martyred for his belief in Jesus, wrote in James 1, 2, and 3, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The trial that came from their ministry resulted in their worship and praise of God. There is no circumstance that can come our way where we cannot praise God. God. Now now this doesn't mean that we praise God for the circumstance because that's not bringing glory to God sometimes like especially you know we don't praise God that that the Sumas was flooded. We don't we don't walk up to to a farmer who had his entire chicken coop destroyed and say man praise God. That was that was good. Right? No, but, but we praise God because in times of trial He continues to walk with us and create more mature Christians who depend on Him to, to seek to live out the kingdom of God, to, to pray fervently. He creates students who uh, this student that, that I brought up, you know he, he became much more dependent on Jesus when he switched schools. This, this trial it can, it can bring out more mature Christians who depend on him. Matthew Henry in his commentary puts it this way, as in the dark, so out of the depths we may cry unto God. No place, no time is amiss for prayer, if the heart be lifted up to God, no trouble however grievous should hinder us from praise. Times of trial, persecution, tragedy shouldn't drive us to panic. Shouldn't drive us to hysteria, but, but it should drive us to our knees in prayer and thanksgiving that our God is still at work. We still have our hope set in eternity spent with him, no matter the circumstance. If every inconvenience that Paul came through, he he just got mad, he got angry, he's whatever happened, the jailer might not have been saved. A challenge to consider is is what God is doing in every circumstance in our life. When when the jail was broken open, it would have been the simplest thing for, for Paul and Silas to lead the prisoners out, say, oh, praise God, he delivered us, let's get out of here. But I do imagine there was a subtle nudging of the Spirit once again that brought them to Macedonia that told them to remain in the prison. Similarly, Paul uses his citizenship at the tail end of the persecution. The question is, why didn't he use it before? When when he was getting beaten with a rod and his clothes torn off, why didn't he say, stop, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this. I think it was the spiritual leading of God. Paul only used his citizenship at this time because the gospel was at stake. He didn't want to leave quietly, because then the new converts would fear or question what he said. Instead, he left with his name cleared, and the gospel presented well. If you've been walking with the Lord for some time, when was the last time you felt the Holy Spirit guide you to make a decision or a sacrifice? When was the last time that you stopped and and listened for it? If you don't believe in Jesus, this is a new, um, new message to you. I, I urge you to consider that, that millions of people, billions throughout the history, have, have claimed Jesus as Lord for good reason. So I invite you to consider that, continue thinking of that, to, to pray, to ask God to reveal himself. Let's be a people who seek spiritual guidance even when times get tough. Gospel encounters are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, and and so much more, the gospel is multifaceted. So would we leave today encouraged to seek out every opportunity to better understand the gospel and then to respond to it for the sake of our families, of our friends, and our communities, asking them, or inviting them to ask the question, how can I be saved? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time that we could spend in your word. If nothing else, uh, God, your word was read. And so, Holy Spirit, would you, would you open our eyes and, and reveal yourself through your scripture? Father, if anything was not of you that was said, would it be forgotten? If, but, the, but the things that you have called Central Agassiz and Lake Iraq to hear, would, would it become heavy on their heart to respond Lord, as we move into communion, a time of remembrance, a time of uh, delighting in your sacrifice and resurrection, knowing that it has given the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life to all who repent and believe, Lord, would we, would we be on our knees in prayer for those around us who are, who are not saved, for, for believers who are going through hard times, Lord, would our, would our eyes be set on you, and would our hearts be set in heaven. Lord, we love you and we pray all this in your name. Amen.